time for an MS health segment. Uh, the other day I mentioned Thriving Over Surviving podcast with Edie Sahitian, a female educator that talks with others about thriving with their best life possible while living with MS or other autoimmune diseases. And I figured I'd got a list of some mantras that other MSers shared that keeps them going strong. Uh, basically anything that like hope, hope for relief, hope for courage to live this life fully, hope for continued love and giving, hope for the ability to walk for just a bit longer, hope for uninterrupted peace, hope for a cure, hope Hope all together, it's such a small world, and yet it encompasses everything that you feel and need. Uh, if you have a type of mantra that you can enjoy and feel strong with, some people mention things like a Liz Martin living with MS for six years says, Hope it's such a small word, and yet it en- encompasses everything they feel and need. Uh, Justine Calgano, living with MS, says their first choice is to run far on a gorgeous trail. If they can't run, they practice yoga. If they can't practice yoga, they stretch gently. If they can't stretch, they lay and meditate. If they can't meditate, they just breathe like no matter what as long as you're doing something positive in your life at all times it's a little bonus in your body and helps your body feel a little bit stronger and better in the long run Uh, Brooke Robinson says she's unapologetic that was the most essential but most difficult thing to learn when diagnosed with a chronic illness you won't understand and often lack the ability to emphasize with those that are different their need to constantly use the bathroom due to incontinence made their friends feel uncomfortable later on when they needed a cane it made co-workers friends and family feel sorry but uncomfortable all this was out of their control but caused a great deal of stress on them for making people feel uncomfortable and so they had to learn to be unapologetic about their disability Uh, friends treating you like a normal person you want to keep living your life as normal as possible but the disabilities make things difficult Uh, you can go to pubs with bathrooms in the basement So many of there's a ton of those in places like Toronto where they live and they couldn't go dancing or play sports like they used to. Uh, Friends made concessions like hanging out at their place across town instead of going out dancing or meeting them near their office for an after work event session. Uh, It's all about your surroundings and surrounding yourself with good people who make you feel less of a burden and more of a human. 
if you can find that in your life. Uh, Dan and Jennifer Digman say they both love music, so it's probably probably comes as no surprise that lines from their favorite artists make up their mantras that help them live with multiple sclerosis. Jennifer says it's kind of like Tom Petty is singing directly to her and is rooting for her in her fight with MS. With Hey Baby, there ain't no easy way out. I won't back down. Hey, I will stand my ground. And I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This is important to her because it reinforces that MS isn't as an easy disease, but it also reinforces that she's not easy to beat. And then Dan says the words of Bruce Springsteen have given him many a mantra as he's gone head to head with MS. But the lines I continue to turn or he continues to turn to are, it doesn't matter. It don't matter just what you say. Are you tough enough to play the games they play? Or will you just do time and fade away? To that, he says, game on, game on. These lines carry him through his mindset that he's in a competition with MS and that he needs to be strong and play hard every single day. Uh, Aline Brennan has been living with MS since 2016. She had no choice. She focuses on the fear or focuses on the positive. Uh, Doug Anchorman uh, says his mantra is keep moving. He never realized that Isaac Newton's first law of motion would have such an impact on his diagnosis. It states a body in motion stays in motion and a body at rest stays at rest. Who knew this would relate to MS, but it does. So he tells himself and others to keep moving. Move what you can as much as you can. Come on, get started. Don't let Isaac down. (laughs) But yeah, stay positive. Stay happy. Try and beat this damn monster. And keep going as long as we can. And we'll get back to you with more health stuff in the near future. Time for another MS health segment. And you got no friends? What's that? Well, that's not a problem. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I know why. Well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Probably heard plenty about why friendships are so important. Particularly particularly if you don't have many friends yourself. If you're not totally isolated, though, and your lack of friends doesn't trouble you, it can be perfectly fine to be satisfied with your own company. Being alone doesn't automatically translate the feelings of loneliness. And it isn't necessarily a problem in need of fixing. So the next time you start to feel bad about not being a social butterfly, keep the following in mind. 
Solitude can promote creativity. Solitude can help you see things differently. Being alone grants you the freedom to stay fully present with your true self and experience things as you truly see them. Having fewer friends, in turn, may sometimes allow you to be more in tune with yourself. And nowadays, if you don't have physical friends, you can end up with a lot of online friends and a lot that you might not want. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully you pick the right ones and keep the negative ones out of your life. Forced friendships benefit no one. Feeling pressured to make friends with people who don't have much interest in your needs won't do you any good. Uh, forcing, you can always choose to spend time with other people, but you can't really get away from yourself. It makes sense then to prioritize your relationship with yourself. And this relationship is perhaps the most important one you'll ever have. And when it's strong, it can strengthen your other relationships in turn. But keep yourself positive about yourself. And don't worry about others and their feelings and stuff if they have no interest in you and what you're dealing with and are just going to be negative to you in the future. What do you look forward to most at the end of the long day? Some people want nothing more than to gather a circle of friends and enjoy their company. Perhaps your ideal evening involves a favorite hobby or craft, cooking a fancy meal for yourself, or a long workout. Messages from loved ones or society in general might make you feel as if you should spend your free time engaging in social activities. But these subtle or not-so-subtle hints to be a little more friendly can make you feel guilty when you'd rather have a quiet night at home, cleaning or watching a movie with nothing but popcorn and your pet to keep you company. Pushing yourself to socialize when you'd rather spend your time on other pursuits can leave you frustrated and resentful, especially when socializing doesn't relax you or fulfill your needs. Especially if you're dealing with MS pain and MS issues or you schedule plans to go somewhere and then as soon as you get that time gets there that you have to go to those events or you get together with everybody you're dealing with a bunch of extra issues can be pain can be fatigue can be bladder issues can be all kinds of different ms style things happening so if you're not that type of person then don't worry about it. And if you can live happily hanging with yourself and not around a bunch of others, then that's the best way to do it. And personally, me and my wife, it's like the Shining movie. We'd be the perfect ones for that. And so you could stick us in a hotel and around nobody and we'd be fine. Like I see these little island environments and stuff where these old prisons used to be or psycho wards or all this stuff and they want caretakers for the land and stuff. It's like, 
my wife and I could do that no problem. <laughs> like, put us on the bunny island. The island that just has tons of bunnies running around. We'll take care of those bunnies for you. And <laughs> but, yeah, well, some people need a lot of social time. Others don't. If you're more introverted, you probably feel most comfortable with a few close friends. Too much socializing likely drains your energy and leaves you in urgent need of solitude. An introversion is simply one part of your personality, not a flaw you need to address or anything to feel bad about. Introverted people often have few friends simply because they thrive best without constant companionship. And honestly, when I had a ton of friends, it was a lot of freaking headaches. Uh, because I had the biggest vehicle, everybody loved me because I could take all the groups around wherever. When I had bars and restaurants, people loved me because they could come and take advantage of it. And when we had a hardware store, people would constantly come in and be all friendly and nice, kiss your ass, and then ask for a bargain at the end of the day when they brought the items up. It's like, do you go into a fleet farm and say, I want a discount? No, you don't, asshole. So quit taking advantage of people. You just pay the freaking price on the damn item. It's like we lost our many of businesses because we were too damn friendly to people that we shouldn't have been, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, they don't give two shits about you now. Or when someone passes away many years later, they just totally ignore them. But, yeah, it's... I don't feel I need to be around that. I pick my people that I can fit in one or two hands and just socialize with the good ones and leave the negativity friends out the door and out of my environment. Granted, you get a ton of them that jump on your that request, get to know you on Facebook and all that shit, but it's just more hassle than help in the long run not everybody has or needs a best friend the best friend idea is pretty common a rock solid relationship with a trusted companion you've known for years who understands everything about you and never lets you down some people do have this type of relationship but it's not quite as typical as you might assume realistically speaking it's pretty unlikely for one person to meet all of your friendship needs just as it's not possible possible for romantic partners to meet each other's needs all the time. Consistently turning to just one person for friendship and emotional support put you both at a disadvantage when you struggle to fulfill that role. Uh, it's not as common as you think to grow up with a friend and still have that friend throughout your whole life. We, many of us go through separations of friendships and stuff. After high school and stuff like that, uh, college, you'll all eventually break apart the majority of people and maybe come back down the road and reacquaint your, your friendships or may never hook up again. And a lot of people dwell on the high school days. For some reason, we never really focused on anything beyond that. <laughs> for some reason friendship wise you always look back into your 
grade school, high school days, and actually the friends you collect along the way beyond that can be stronger friendships than those friendships in the beginning uh, because those friendships are based on environmental adaptation, who you live close by and go to school with, whereas ones you meet out in the world are ones you come across usually with things that relate to you and things that fit into your environment of things that you enjoy and that's better relationships you're going to find in the long run and like i said dump the ones that are annoying get rid of them they're a waste of your time they're hazards to your health they're going to stress you out cause you a bunch of stress and anxiety you don't need that's going to just progress your symptoms and we don't want that so at the end of the day it doesn't really matter how many friends you have if you don't feel the need to make more friends trust your instincts without letting the opinions of others sway you that said loneliness can contribute to mental health symptoms including anxiety and depression getting to know new people isn't always easy and struggling to make new friends can leave you feeling isolated Therapy can offer a safe place to cope with feelings of loneliness and get compassionate guidance on strategies for building meaningful connections with other others. So take that into consideration. And if you have to be alone, just consider like before getting into the ins and outs of being happy alone, it's important to understand that. Being alone doesn't have to mean you're lonely. Surely you can be alone and feel lonely, but the two don't always have to go hand in hand. Uh, that's not to say that technology is an in incredibly helpful tool for building community and feeling close to loved ones who might be far away. And to help out get into groups that relate to your chronic illnesses or diseases or whatever you're dealing with or things that you enjoy and hobbies you enjoy and stuff like that. A lot of wonderful online groups and a lot of idiots that are out there and in those groups. Watch for those. There's just out. But it's easy to rely on devices as, as a way to avoid being alone with your own thoughts. Uh, you can basically avoid comparing yourself to others this is easier said than done but try to avoid comparing your social life to anyone else's not a number of friends you have or the frequency of your social outings that matters what works for you you really have no way of knowing if someone with a bunch of friends and a stuffed social calendar is actually happy now the ones i've seen pretty much look pretty stressed out to me Take a step back from social media. It isn't inherently bad or problematic, but if scrolling through your friends makes you feel left out and stressed, take a few steps back. That feed doesn't tell you the whole story, not by a long shot or vice, vicing up their life and showing you only good parts or making good, good or bad parts look better. So don't rely on what you see out there. Uh, 
cell phones and social media have undoubtedly changed the concept of being alone. Is anybody really alone when they can pick up the phone or text or call just about anyone? Uh, next time you're alone, turn your phone off and stash it away for an hour. Use this time to reconnect with yourself and explore what it feels like to truly be alone. Uh, carve out time to let your mind wander. Does the thought of doing absolutely nothing unsettle you? That's probably because it's been a long time since you've allowed yourself to just be. Experiment by setting a timer for five minutes. That's it. Five minutes with no television, no music, no internet, no podcast, no books. Just be to yourself. Let your mind wander. Let it truly wander and see where it takes you. Don't be discouraged if it doesn't take you very far at first. With time, your mind will get used to this new freedom. Self-dates can be be a powerful tool for learning how to be happy alone. Not sure what to do. Imagine you're trying to impress an actual date and show them a good time. Where would you take them? What would you want them to see or experience? Now take yourself on that date. It might feel a bit odd at first, but chances are you'll see at least a few other folks dining solo or purchasing a movie ticket for one. Uh, You can start small by sitting in a coffee shop for just 10 minutes. Be observant and soak in your surroundings. Once you're comfortable with that, going out alone won't seem so unusual anymore. Exercise helps release endorphins, those neurotransmitters in your brain that can make you feel happier. If you're new to exercise, start with just a few minutes a day, even if it's just morning stretches. Increase your activity as you go and as you get more confident. And try things like weight training, aerobics, sports, stuff like that. Gradually build up. Just don't overdo it. Keep yourself at a nice, comfortable pace where your body's happy and you're not stressed and worn out from it. Uh, Get outside, lounge in the backyard, take a walk in the park, or hang out by the water. Absorb the sights, sounds, and smells of nature. Feel the breeze on your face. Research shows that 30 minutes or more a week spent in nature can improve symptoms of depression and lower your blood pressure. Uh, Some people find it especially difficult to be happy while living alone. Sure, it might be a little quiet. and There's no one there to listen to you vent after work or remind you to turn off the stove. But living solo also has its perks. Naked vacuuming anyone? (laughs) Try to take advantage of the physical and mental space that comes with living alone. As soon as you walk in your door, just toss all the clothes away. You don't need clothes anymore. (laughs) Take up all the space. Spend the day taking up the entire kitchen to cook a tasty meal you can munch on for the next week out trying to get back into an old hobby get all your materials and spread them out across the floor and decide what you want to use for your next project not done deciding in a single day no problem 
leave it out until you're done. Even if it's a week from now. You don't have to worry about other people in the house complaining about the way shit looks because you're just trying to gradually do your hobby and do your stuff and enjoy it. And you don't have to put it away as soon as you're done with it and make the area clean and pretty for in case someone shows up and walks through your environment. It's always annoying. I miss those days being alone <laughs> or with my wife. <laughs> Have a dance party. This one's pretty self-explanatory. Put on your favorite music. And neighbors permitting, crank it up. Dance like no one's watching because, well, they aren't. (laughs) There are so many ways to volunteer in your time in service of, of others. You can volunteer in person or help out remotely from home. Either way, helping others can make you feel good. Plus, it can help you connected to others while still getting in some quality alone time it's research volunteer opportunities in your neighborhood it's important to find something something that feels right to you make sure that your needs are a good fit with what you're willing and able to do and make sure it's something you can physically do or if you need to be able to sit down and relax in between things if you have ms issues if the first thing you try doesn't work, it's perfectly reasonable to move on and look for something else. You don't have to stick with something if you don't like it. And it's like, it's just a random act of kindness. And whenever the opportunity presents itself, it's a positive for everybody. It helps you, helps others. It's always good to be helpful with any type of volunteering you can do. And there's always something going on, usually around your town or other towns. Research shows that gratefulness can boost feelings of happiness and hopefulness. It's easy to take things for granted as you go about your day, devote some time to reflect on things you're grateful for. They don't have to be spectacular, mind-blowing things. They can be as simple as that first cup of java in the morning or a song you play over and over because it calms your nerves. Uh, Self-reflection is a good thing. Harsh self-judgment is not. Eats away at your self-confidence and happiness and depresses the shit out of you. When that negative inner critic comes out to call, turn toward that more positive voice that resides in your head and you know it's in there somewhere. Don't judge yourself more harshly than you judge anyone else. Everyone makes mistakes, so don't keep beating yourself up over them. Remember that many good qualities, remember the many good qualities you possess. No dinner companion. Eating alone doesn't have to mean eating prepackaged food in front of the TV. Prepare a fabulous meal for one. Or set the table, use a cloth napkin, light a candle, and do whatever you would do if you are throwing a dinner party. You're worth it all by yourself. don't have to have a bunch of other people around you to do it. Or you can just go out to dinner somewhere by yourself and have a nice meal. What have you always dreamed of doing but have put off? Don't worry. If you're not good at it, The point is to try something new and different. Take a step outside your comfort zone. Take on a home improvement project. 
learn to play an instrument, paint a landscape, make an action figure, make a comic book, write a story, do it on your own, or enroll in a class. Give yourself ample time to see if it's worth pursuing. Don't like it? You can at least cross it off your list and move on to something else. You don't have to do it. You're not being forced to do it. It's just for you. Find interesting things to do and put them on your calendar. Give yourself something to look forward to. After all, anticipation is half the fun. Plus, seeing it on your calendar might also help you follow through. Visit a nearby town and stay in a bed and breakfast. Attend a local festival or farmer's market or concert. Um, or an art exhibit or whatever. Go on a haunted haunted hike thing that they do in a lot of towns. Check out the different haunted environments and stuff like that. Those are always fun. Anything you hear people talking about, go and check it out. Do it. You don't have to take someone with you. You can do it alone. Meet people there or whatever. Plan for something you're really interested in and make it happen. Uh, as you become more comfortable with day-to-day aspects of being alone, you can start digging a little deeper. You can take up your routine, but uh, basically, if a routine that works well is getting you in a rut, leaving you uninspired. Think about your day-to-day routine and immediate surroundings, what's still working for you and what's become dull and fix that, change it up. If you're not sure, take a shot at it, freshen things up, rearrange your furniture or paint a wall or start a garden, clean and declutter or find a new coffee shop or see if there's something you can change to pull yourself out of the rut. Life has its stressors and bad things happen. There's no point in ignoring this reality. But remember that time something bad happened and you figured out how to deal with it. That's a skill worth continuing to develop. Consider how you coped then and why that worked. and Think about how you can use that same mindset to cope with other events that are happening now. It's also a good time to give yourself some credit. You're probably a lot stronger and more resilient than you realize. As you become more comfortable being alone, you might find yourself spending less time socializing. There's nothing wrong with that, but close social connections are still important. Arrange a visit with someone in your family, a friend, or go hang out with the team after work and call someone you haven't heard from in a long time and have a meaningful conversation. It's basically less about making the other person feel better than it is about making yourself feel better. Yes, that means writing a letter, forgiving someone who's hurt you without actually sending it totally counts. Forgiveness can take a load off your mind while you're at it. Don't forget to forgive yourself, too. Emotional health can affect physical health and vice versa. Taking care of your physical health may help boost your overall happiness. Plus, it's a good way to foster a good relationship with yourself. Make eating a balanced diet, exercising regular, and getting plenty of sleep part of what you do with your alone time. Where do you want to be in five, ten years? 
or whatever, both personally and professionally, what do you need to do to accomplish those goals? Writing this down can be helpful in guiding your decision. Vision boards and stuff like that help a lot of people. Revisit this exercise annually to see if you're on track of your goals. And if you need to add some new goals onto your list, um, consider reaching out to a therapist if you're overly stressed and finding it difficult to cope. If you are having symptoms of anxiety or symptoms of depression, talk to your doctor and look into therapy and stuff like that. But yeah, it's not a bad thing being lonely unless you're a person that has to have someone around you at all times. Take that into consideration. Oh, this is a really long episode, so we're going to cut it off now. I didn't realize how long it went. We'll get back to you with more health stuff in the future. Time for another MS Health segment. Today, we're going to talk about pain, pain relief, pain management. Pain is more than just a feeling of discomfort. It can affect the way you feel overall. It may also lead to mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. The amount of pain you experience can tell your doctor a lot about your overall health. Acute pain happens suddenly, usually in a matter of days or weeks. It tends to resolve within a few few weeks. Chronic pain is ongoing, according to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. Pain is considered to be chronic when it lasts beyond three months. Pain relief methods range from at-home treatments and prescriptions to over-the-counter medications and evasive procedures like surgery. Pain relief doesn't usually happen overnight, but it can. Each person's pain experience is unique to them. So check with your doctor, see what they can do for you, and work with them to figure out your pain relief. There are two types, main types of pain. Nociceptive and neuropathic. Nociceptive pain is a nervous system response that helps your body. It makes you pull your hand back from a hot stove so you don't get burned. Pain from a sprained ankle forces you to rest and give the injury time to heal. Neuropathic pain is different because it has no known benefits. It may be a result of misread signals between your nerves and brain or spinal cord, or it could be because of nerve damage. Your brain interprets, interprets faulty signals the nerves as pain and believe me when it feels like i'm being stabbed by a knife it feels like i'm being stabbed by a freaking knife (laughs) if i feel like i'm being burned or scratched or skin peel or bones shattered or whatever and it's just neurological it still feels like it's actually fucking happening i don't care what you say If you do not have neurological damage, you have no concept how your body can relate pain in ways that it's not actually happening, but it feels damn well like it is. Examples of neuropathic pain include post-therapeutic neuralgia, diabetic neuropathy, and carpal tunnel syndrome. 
to get effective pain relief, you first need to find the source of the pain. Uh, some signs. Well, make an appointment with your doctor if your pain hasn't gone away after two to three weeks. Is causing you stress, anxiety, or depression. Prevents you from re relaxing or sleeping. Stops you from exercising or participating in normal activities. Hasn't improved with any in, any treatments of you've tried. Basically, living with chronic pain can be emotionally and physically challenging. Many types of treatments can help you find relief. So talk to your doctor about those. Over-the-counter pain relievers like acetaminophen, Tylenol, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, N-S-A-I-D-S's, are available to buy without a doctor's prescription. NSAIDs block substances called COX-1 and COX-2. They relieve pain related to inflammation minor arthritic pain, stuff like that. Uh, these drugs are helpful for conditions like headache, backache, muscle aches, arthritis, menstrual pain, sprains, and other minor in injuries. Common NSAIDs include aspirin, ibuprofen like Advil and Motrin, naproxen like Aleve, take only the amount of pain reliever recommended on the package, Using too much of these drugs can increase your chance for side effects. Side effects can include kidney injury, excessive bleeding, stomach ulcers. I believe some can thin out the blood and stuff like that. You got to watch out for. But you can't buy some stronger pain relievers over the counters. But certain NSAIDs such as diclofenac, which is Voltaren, are only available with a prescription from your doctor, which is not true anymore, I believe, because I believe you can get that over the counter now, which kind of surprised me because not long ago when I was on it, it showed a bunch of liver damage and stuff in some people. So I was surprised that it became non-prescription, but checking it out, I could be wrong. The selective COX-2 inhibitor, Celecozib, which is Celebrex, is also effective for treating inflammation-related pain. It's available only with the doctor's prescription. Stronger opioid drugs like hydrocodone and oxycodone treat severe pain, like from surgery or a serious injury. These medications are related to the illicit, illicit drug opium. They tend to produce a euphoric effect while they relieve pain. That's why they became so addictive and we had the opioid epidemic. Opioids can be risky. They're very addictive. They can create a pleasurable feeling that some people want to replicate over and over again, all while causing tolerance and need for higher doses to achieve that same effect. A few other prescription drugs are also known for their addictiveness. They should be used with caution as well. So take the watch out for all of them. Corticosteroids work by suppressing and thus, thus reducing the immune system's inflammatory response by reducing inflammation. They also relieve pain. 
Doctors prescribe steroids to treat inflammatory conditions like inflammatory arthritis. Examples of steroid drugs include hydrocortisone, cortef, methylprednisone, medrol, prednisolone, which is prelone, prednisone, which is deltazone. And then there's corticosteroids can cause side effects like weight gain, osteoporosis, difficulty sleeping, mood changes, fluid retention, high blood sugar, increased risks of infections. Taking the lowest dose for the shortest period of time can help prevent side effects, but be wary of the potential drug interactions when you take corticone. Corticosteroid drugs like cortisone, uh, MS relapses and stuff, they'll a lot of times put you on steroids and you got to watch those as far as long-term use opioids as previously mentioned opioids are powerful pain relievers some are made from the poppy plant um, others are produced in a laboratory those are called synthetic opioids you can take them to relieve acute pain like after surgery or you can take them long term to manage chronic pain these drugs come in immediate release and extended release formulas. Sometimes they're combined with another pain reliever like acetaminophen. You'll find opioids in products like buprenorphine, which is bupronex, and butrans, fentanyl, which is duragesic, hydrocodone acetaminophen, which is Vicodin, old Brett Favre addiction drugs. Hydromorphone, which Exelgol ER, which I've never heard of. Mepiridine, which is Demerol. Oxycodone, which is Oxycontin. Oxymorphone, which is Opana. Tramadol, or Tramadol, which is Ultram. Although opioids may be highly effective, they're also very addictive. Misuse can lead to serious side effects overdose or possible death, which we've seen in the opioid epidemic. Opioids can cause side effects and other effects like confusion, nausea, drowsiness, constipation, impaired judgment, overdose, which can be life-threatening, slower breathing that may cause hypoxia, which could result in brain damage, coma, or death, substance use disorder, increased risk of contracting infectious diseases if you share drug interaction equipment, pregnancy loss, low birth weight, or baby, a baby that has dependence and withdrawal symptoms at birth if using during pregnancy. So follow your doctor's directions carefully when taking those medications. Antidepressants were designed to treat depression, but they can also help with chronic pain from certain conditions like migraine and nerve damage. Doctors still don't know exactly how these drugs work to relieve pain. They may reduce pain signals by acting on or increasing activity of chemical messengers called neurotransmitters in the brain and spinal cord. Doctors prescribe a few different antidepressant classes to treat pain. Tricyclic antidepressants such as 
imipramine, tofranil, notriptyline, which is pamelor, and disapramine, which is norpramine, norpramine, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor inhibitors, SSRIs such as fluoxetine, which is Prozac, and paroxetine, which is Paxil, uh, serotonin, non-repinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs such as deluxetine, which is Cymbalta, and venlafaxine, which is Effexor XR. Antidepressants can cause side effects like drowsiness, difficulty sleeping, nausea, dry, dry mouth, dizziness, constipation. So report any side effects to your doctor. Anticonvulsants, drugs that treat seizures, also do double duty by relieving nerve pain, nerves damaged by conditions like diabetes or shingles, and nerves that are oversensitized like in fibromyalgia, MS overact and send too many pain signals. Doctors don't know exactly how anticonvulsants work against pain. They believe these drugs help block abnormal pain signals between the damaged nerves and the brain and spinal cord. It just, it's a wonder because I know I'm on a few different drugs that are for something completely different, but they do something different than you you would expect them to or what they're usually prescribed for. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that goes. But examples of anti-seizure drugs that treat pain are carbamazepine, which is Tegretol, gabapentum, which is neurotonin, neurotin, uh, phenytoin, which is dilantin, pregabalin, which is Lyrica, some of these drugs cause side effects like nausea and vomiting, drowsiness, headache, dizziness, confusion. And they may also increase the risk of suicidal thoughts and suicide. So your doctor should monitor you for side effects of taking those. Cannabidol, 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 cannabidol. Cannabidol, <laughs> CBD. <laughs> People have been using cannabis to manage pain for thousands of years. Researchers have found that certain compounds in cannabis may re- be responsible for these pain-relieving effects. These include the plant chemical cannabidol, CBD. CBD is non-impairing and non-euphoric. In other words, it doesn't get you high. CBD may be an option to consider if you're interested in potential pain-relieving effects of cannabis research and people with pain from malignant diseases suggest that CBD works by altering the activity of the endocannabinoid receptors in the brain and body, potentially reducing inflammation and pain. Uh, And the TH, well, a review of studies in humans found that taking a nasal spray that contains CBD and THC in a one-to-one ratio may help manage chronic neuropathic pain, such as multiple sclerosis. The evidence on the potential benefits of CBD is still emerging, so 
they're still looking into things and learning about it because they wasted so much time making it illegal a class one illegal substance basically classifying it with cocaine and heroin and all that shit which is not the same side effects of cbd may include fatigue changes in appetite and weight diarrhea potential interactions with some medications uh, so talk with your doctor about it if you're considering it an ice pack or hot compre- compress is an easy way to le- relieve minor pain. The question is, which one should you use? And a lot of times I learned after many years that doing like a 15-minute hot, 15-minute cold, 15-minute hot, 15-minute cold works the muscles in a good way to help with pain. So that's a good way to just work it back and forth instead of just focusing on one or the other. Unless one or the other does help you out and stick with it. Uh, Exercise can help keep you flexible and stuff, keep you from locking up. Physical therapy uh, can help with things like arthritis, fibromyalgia, post-surgical pain, nerve pain, stuff like that. Yoga combines deep breathing and meditation with it can be highly beneficial and keep you flexible and keep you from locking up and getting more painful. Music has the power to move you and transport you back back in time. Listening to music could also help re- relieve pain, excuse me, in part by reducing stress and helping you cope more effectively with discomfort. Therapeutic massage can be very very helpful with pain using rubbing and pressure to loosen up tight muscles and tendons and help you relax. Another upside to massage is its lack of side effects. There are virtually no risks unless you have a skin rash or certain types of cardiovascular disease or some other type of infection. Uh, Chronic pain is a major health issue. According to the CDC, it's one of the most Common reasons why adults see doctors in the U.S. Although some pain-relieving drugs can be addictive, there are a number of non-addictive medications available, so work with your doctor to find the best one. And There's also a range of alternative therapies available to ease pain and interventions like exercise, massage, yoga, etc. that can improve your quality of life without causing harmful side effects. In the process, so check in at O's and see what works best for you. Be good to yourself and kick the shit out of monster, and we'll get back to you again soon. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's talk about dysthesia. Dysthesia is a type of chronic pain triggered by the central nervous system. Commonly associated with multiple sclerosis. These a disease that causes damage to the central nervous system. Pain doesn't always enter the discussion when talking about MS, but it's actually a common symptom. Dysthesia often involves sensations such as burning, electric shock, or a general tightening around the body. It generally occurs in the legs, feet, arms, and hand, 
but it can affect any part of your body. Whereas if you consider rating it as being part of the MS hug, then it would also affect your chest area, your lung area, your upper body area, your rib cage area. So I don't know if that's classified the same with that or not. We'll see as we go through this. The types of dyscesia include scalp, 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 <laughs> cutaneous or occlusia, occlusal, occlusal, O-C-C-L-U-S-A-L. By the way, dyscesia, I know it's hard for me to say without teeth. It's D-Y-S-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A, if you're wondering. But scalp dyscesia, also called burning scalp syndrome, involves pain, burning, stinging, or itching on or under the scalp. There is usually no rash, flaking, or other vis- visible irritation. A lot of times that freaking <laughs> annoying pain is, you can go at it, but it's like feels like it's under the skulls. You can't even get to it or do anything to it. You almost got to try and find a way to meditate and think about sandpaper. <laughs> Some type of water thing or something to put out the burning or and use meditation to try and fight it, I guess. <laughs> uh, cutaneous dyscesia is characterized by a feeling of discomfort when your skin is touched. The symptom which can range, the symptoms which can range from mild tingling to severe pain, may be triggered by anything from clothing to a gentle breeze, breeze, or just someone just touching you, brushing you, or something like that. It can. It's amazing uh, how it can just set off certain things neurologically. But occlusal dyscesia OD, also called phantom bite syndrome, is discomfort in the mouth when biting, usually with no obvious cause. Although OD is initially believed to be a psychological disorder, uh. A 2017 case report suggested it could be associated with a condition in which the teeth of the lower and upper jaws aren't aligned, resulting in an imbalanced bite. Dysthesia versus parathesia versus hyperalgesia. It's easy to confuse all three of them, both of which can occur with MS. Parasthesia describes sensory symptoms such as numbness and tingling, skin crawling, or that pins and needles feeling. It's distracting and uncomfortable, but not generally considered painful. Really freaking annoying. Hyperalgesia is increased sensitivity to painful stimuli. Dysthesia is more severe than paresthesia and has no apparent stimuli. Dysthesia can be intermittent or continuous. The sensations can be mild to intense and may include aching or throbbing, skin crawling, burning or stinging, shooting, stabbing, or tearing pain, electrical shock-like sensations, it's just so many weird, weird, weird pains and sensations. 
brought upon by our brain. <laughs> the pain and strange sensations associated with dysesia may be due to sensory nerve damage. The incorrect signals from your nerves can cause your brain to stimulate strange sensations. And you could make a cool superhero character, the deceasiest. Or he just goes around and mentally connects with people and sends different types of pains and sensations through their neurological pathways and disables them and takes them down. It's actually a cool idea. And I'll probably never get to it. So if you get to it, just remember, give me my 15% kickback. <laughs> giving you the concept, the idea. I got lots of things I can that are going through my head right now that we could add to it and make it pretty cool. <laughs> but I'll never get to it because I'm so far behind on shit I need to get through and want to get through. And just, but yeah, <laughs> someone get out there and make this. Yes. <laughs> For example, you may have painful sensations in your leg, even though there's nothing wrong with your leg. It's a communication problem between your brain and the nerves in your leg, which stimulates a pain response, and the pain is very real. It's basically when the character, the bad guys run away, and you can just instantly mind connect and make them feel like his legs are just totally damaged and broken and taken out, and then he collapses to the ground, and the diseases runs up and grabs him and takes him to the... Takes him to a padded cell where he belongs or wherever. <laughs> when you have burning or itching, you might usually reach for topical treatments, but because there's no real issue with your skin or scalp, that won't help with the CGS. So you're just dumping extra chemicals on your body for no reason. Treatment is different for everybody. It may take some trial or error to find the best solution for you and believe me it's like these feelings are as real as the actual feelings would be so if you were dealing with burns and stuff like that you can't commonly think to yourself well if i pick up these things and try them and you do try these over-the-counter things and shit and see if they help and they don't do a damn thing you're like what the hell's going on and then you realize it's your ms shit once you get diagnosed and figure out all that shit too many freaking years later <laughs> Over-the-counter pain relievers such as acetaminophen, Tylenol, and ibuprofen, Motrin, usually aren't effective for treating neuropathic pain like dysthesia. And neither are narcotics or opioids. You cannot get rid of neurological pain. I'm sorry. And you just <laughs> Unless you're fixing the nerves that are missing that very crucial lining that's supposed to be coating them. And there's not really much you're going to do about those pains and sensations. In my opinion, I could be wrong. But the CGA is usually treated with the following medication. Oh, here we go. I'm getting getting told I'm wrong right off the bat. <laughs> Anti-seizure agents such as gabantium, gab gabapentum, pentin, uh, which is neuro neurontin, Pregabalin, which is Lyrica, Carbamazepine, which is Pegritol, and Benetoin, which is Dilantin, to calm the nerves. Certain antidepressants, such as Amitriptyline, which is Elevil, Neurotriptyline, which is Pamrolol, 
and disopramine, which is norpramine, change your body's response to pain. Topical pain relief creams that contain lidocaine or capsaicin, capsaicin. The opioid tramadol, which is all tram, concept, the result. Rarely prescribed and usually only for people experiencing severe pain. Antihistamine hydroxine, which is Adorax for people with MS. Relieve itching and burning sensations. Your doctor will start you know, at the lowest dose and you'll gradually build yourself up. And work your way through, but work with your doctor and see what what things they want to try and if you can see if they help you out or not. But like I said, it's in your head. It's hard to fix those things in your head if we can't get stem cells replacing that myelin or something like that. More than half of people with MS experience pain as a significant symptom. I'd say way more than half. Everyone I know deals with some type of severe pain issues, chronic pains. Well, one in five people with MS who report continuous pain describe it as burning pain that mostly affects their legs and feet. MS causes the formation of scar tissue or lesions in the brain and spine. These lesions interfere with signals between the brain and the rest of the body. One common type of dyscesia experienced by people with MS is the MS hug, which there we go. I mentioned that earlier. I was surprised that wasn't on the early list. So-called because it feels like you're being squeezed around your chest by a freaking gorilla. <laughs> It can be described as a crushing or vice-like grip, causing pain and tightness in your chest and ribs. Here are some other reasons a person with MS might have strange sensations or pain. Expasticity, muscle tightness, injection site reaction or side effects of medication, including disease-modifying drugs, daily injections and stuff like that, uh, bladder infection. Of course, your symptoms could be completely unrelated to MS. They could be due to an injury or another underlying condition. And like other other symptoms of MS, dyscesia can come and go. It can also completely disappear without treatment. Also, like many other symptoms of MS, when you and your doctor find the right treatment, you'll experience dyscesia less frequently, hopefully. If you're lucky to get any help, it's not unique to MS, among other conditions that affect the nervous system and may cause disease or diabetes due to nerve damage caused by chronic high glucose levels. Gillian Barr syndrome, which is a rare neurological condition in which the immune system attacks and damages parts of the peripheral nervous system. Lyme disease, which can cause neurological MS-like symptoms, including itching and burning sensations. HIV, due to resulting peripheral sensory sensory and motor nerve disorder. Shingles, when tingling and pain occur near lesions. Natural remedies that you can try, such as acupuncture, hypnosis, and massage may be beneficial. Also applying a warm or cold compress to the effective area might help for minor relief. Also wearing compression socks, stockings, or gloves. 
performing gentle stretching exercises using lotion that contains aloe, clamidine, CBD, uh, taking a bath before bedtime with Epsom salts and colloidal oats, using certain herbs such as Acorus glamis, which is sweet flag, Crocus sativus, which is saffron, and Ginkgo biloba. Uh, you should definitely see a doctor if it in interferes with your life in a number of ways, such as skin or scalp irritation or infection due to scratching or rubbing, daytime fatigue due to poor sleep, inability to perform everyday tasks, isolation from avoiding social outings, irritability, anxiety, or depression. If your symptoms are interfering with your life, you should see your primary care physician or a neurologist. And other causes for your pain should be examined and ruled out. So definitely see your doctor, talk to him, and discuss that. Try and be pain-free, and we'll get back to you with some more good health stuff in the future. Be good, and kick shit out of monster.